So we'll be looking at three stories from the Gospel of Matthew in the next few weeks. So we're looking today at Matthew 2. This is page 783 in your pew Bibles. They are the black Bibles in the pews. You'll see that we're reading the story of the wise men or the magi. And this is the traditional story that kicks off Epiphany, that there's this light, that there's this revelation that happens later after the birth of Christ. As someone who collects nativity scenes, I get a little frustrated when my nativity scene has like Joseph and Mary and the baby and then like three wise men. I'm like, and I always want to like put the wise men like far away. Like they're not there yet. Like, they, they got to come. And by the way, you need some shepherds, right? So if you grow up and you become an artist and you make nativity scenes, shepherds, good, wise men, put them a little farther away. <laughs> so Jesus has been born. This is what's going on. We're going to read chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men, or magi, from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born the king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out. And there, ahead of them, went the star that they had seen as at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of the Lord. Now this is one of those stories that raises a lot of questions. I mean, who were these magi people anyway? We don't know. We're given the helpful clue that they are from the east, The east is a pretty large area. Scholars don't know. Were they Babylonian in descent? Were they Persian and then kind of taken over that area? Were they even Egyptian? Were they actually technically from the west, but they had eastern practices? And how many of them were there? We don't know. There were three types of gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and we know there was more than one magi. So there were two at least, but maybe there were 20. We don't know. And why were they interested in the king of the Jews? That doesn't make a lot of sense. And what about that star? What is going on with that? 
I mean, was that like a comet kind of thing? Was that like stars aligning? Or maybe it was originally stars aligning, and then like from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, there was like an angel that looked like a star, or like a pillar of fire, like in the whole Exodus story. Like, what is happening there? We don't know. And then there's this question that we're going to think about tonight. Why didn't any of those religious leaders in Jerusalem go with the Magi to Bethlehem? Why didn't they go? I mean, these guys come in and they're like, hey, congratulations, we've heard it's a boy. Can't wait to meet him. Where is he? Where's the little guy? And they're like, what is happening right now? Herod, who is paranoid about anybody having a threat to his rule, gets everybody together. He says, where, where is he supposed to be born? Where is, where is he supposed to be born? I said, like, ah, Bethlehem, here's the verse. They open the scroll, see, he's Micah. Uh. And from every indication, they do that, and then they just kind of go back to work. Why? I mean, you got these people here who are saying the Messiah has come, and they're like, um, Why? Well, the Jews had a pretty good idea of how God showed up. God showed up in the temple. God showed up through sacrifice. God showed up in the festivals. God showed up in prayer and in scripture. God did not show up through astrologers. That's not a God thing to do. God doesn't even like astrology. It's in the Bible. So when these astrologers show up and say, hey, we know where the Messiah is, we're excited to meet him, they're like, yeah, right. Like, you guys are going to get the first revelation of the Messiah. That's not going to happen. We've been waiting for him longer. We get first dibs. Pagan astrologers knowing when the Messiah is born. That's... It's our experience of God that is central your experience of whatever it was is peripheral. And it's easy for us 2,000 years later to point fingers and go, really, guys? You know how far it is from Jerusalem to Bethlehem? Six miles. You could have said, I don't have anything better to do this afternoon. I'm going to hang out with these Magi people. I think they're interesting. They have fancy clothes. It's easy for us to point fingers and say, are you kidding me? You didn't go. You didn't open yourself up to a new experience. But if we're honest with ourselves, we have a lot of those same habits. We're pretty sure we know how God shows up. We're pretty sure we know the right worship experiences the right kind of moments that, you know, provide us to have some experience of God. For those of us who really enjoy good preaching, we want to have a worship experience that has really good preaching because we know God doesn't work through bad preaching. Except he does. Thank you very much. (laughs) And for those of us who really like emotional singing and we want to be able to put our hands up and just lose ourselves in the music, you know, they're one of those quieter services. We're like, oh, those are so boring. And for those of us who love the quieter and the meditative and we think that's when you really experience God, 
the boisterous worship seems shallow and insincere. And for those of us who come from an experience where worship can go for two or three hours, a 20-minute chapel service seems kind of pointless. You see, each of us, if we're honest, we've got a pretty good idea of how God shows up and a pretty good idea about how he doesn't. I had someone say to me years ago, if there's not an organ prelude at the beginning, I can't worship for the next hour. And now we can snicker at that. But just take out organ prelude and put in whatever it is you want. If there's not a, then I can't worship. Because that's when God shows up. That's That's God, like, that's the God moment. A year ago, right now, I was with an interim class in East Africa. Yeah, shout out. And on one sunny Sunday morning, we found ourselves worshiping with the Maasai tribe. And we were in this narrow, mud-walled, thatched roof church. It was dark. It was full of people. And because they didn't know English, many of them, my sermon was translated, so I would say a little bit, and then the pastor would say something, and then I would say a little bit, and the pastor would say something. And they were so glad to have us there that they welcomed us and they, they sang, the children sang and they danced and then the women sang and they danced and the men sang and they danced. And in response, we sang. We did not dance. <laughs> and all of this music was accompanied by an electronic keyboard that was hooked up to a car battery. And after the worship service, they all went out in the back and they made this big line for us all the way to our vans so that when we exited the worship space, we said hello to everybody we'd been worshiping with. And when we got in our vans, there wasn't anybody in there who said, you know, I don't really approve of dancing and worship. So that experience was really, you know, troubling to me. There wasn't anybody who said, you know, because so much of that was not in English, I just kind of checked out and didn't really pay attention anymore. No. The whole reason we had gone there was to have experiences like that. So the little things that we insert and we think this is how God shows up, we can take that out and make the space a whole lot bigger. You have classmates and friends and roommates who are doing that right now today somewhere in the world. They're worshiping in another language, in a different place, in a different time. Some of them are worshiped for two to three hours. Some of them it's 90 minutes. Some of it's 60 minutes, boom. Some of it's very familiar, some of it is not. And the whole point of those experiences is to get us open to what God is up to in the world. John records a conversation between Jesus and a religious leader named Nicodemus. And in that conversation, Jesus says one of the most quoted verses in all of Scripture. He says, Nick, listen, 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, whether they're Calvin College students or Maasai people, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So we open ourselves up to those experiences because we want to have God's heart for the world. We want to know the global vision of the kingdom. We want to live in to the vision that John has and he writes for us in Revelation 7. He says, after that I looked and I saw a multitude from every tongue and tribe and nation dressed in white and waving palm branches, and they were all saying, salvation belongs to our God and to the one who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. When we start to think that Christianity is all about us and our experiences and our preferences, we are missing out on God's vision for the kingdom. God's vision has always been a global vision. Matthew kind of tips his hand this way in Matthew 1. Matthew 1 is the genealogy of Jesus. I'm sure it's the life verse for many of you. It's the genealogy, this person, then this person, then this person, then this person, then this person. Except there are four people who are unusual in that genealogy. There are people who are on the outside. There are people who are on the margins. They are women. Crazy. And a couple of them aren't even Jewish. Crazy. And Matthew tips his hand at the very beginning of his gospel, and he says, listen up. The people who are supposed to get this aren't going to get this. And the people who aren't supposed to get this, they're going to get this. So Matthew 1 tips the hand, and then in Matthew 2, we have this story of the Magi. Now, You've learned, hopefully, all over, the, over your time here at Calvin, maybe already, or maybe somewhere else, that when we talk about God's revelation, we talk about God's epiphany, we say that there are two basic types of revelation. There's general revelation, which, as some of you know, refers to what? Creation. And then there's special revelation, which, as some of you know, refers to what? Scripture. All right? General revelation, creation. Special revelation, Scripture. Now look at the story in Matthew through that lens. What's the first thing that the Magi notice? Creation. The star. General revelation. They are paying such close attention to God's creation that when something happens, we still aren't really sure what it is, when something happens, they go, whoa! Bob, did you see this? (laughs) You've got to check it out. And it is so powerful to them. It is so beautifully disturbing that they have to act. They have to respond. The general revelation is so beautiful, so bright, so compelling that they load up their camels and they make haste for Jerusalem. And then when they get to Jerusalem, what happens? They unroll scripture. They open up to them special revelation. Oh, yeah. Ah, when the Messiah comes, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. They 
roll back up the scroll, put it away. The Magi say, thank you very much. Incidentally, scholars think that the reason um, Herod called them secretly is because he didn't want the Jews to know that he was actually taking stock in astrology. Don't tell anybody. I'm not saying I believe you. I'm just saying hypothetically, if there was a baby, how old would he be? The Magi receive this special revelation. They receive the scripture, and then much to their amazement, this light, whatever it was, goes before them and rests on the house. And did you notice something in the passage here? When it stops, what does it describe them as experiencing? When it stopped over the place where the child was, it says they were overwhelmed with joy. They were overwhelmed with joy. They were like, this is the most amazing thing. We follow this star, which is totally a fluky thing for us to do, and we go right into Jerusalem, and then we get this word that we're supposed to come in here, and the star goes here, and now it stopped. We made it. This is the best day of our lives. And they haven't even met Jesus yet. They open the door and they go into the house. And what do they do? They fall down all the way and worship. In their fancy dress. They've been on the road for days, months. But they are overwhelmed with joy that they have seen the king of the Jews Jesus, the Son of God, and they bow down, and then they open up their treasure chests and they give them all the stuff. They say, This is the best. Don't you wish you'd been there? Wouldn't that have been a sight to see? Whenever we think Christianity is all about us, we miss out on witnessing moments like that. Because God is always drawing more people in. Drawing more people in. He says, you've got to learn from each other. You've got to pay attention. You've got to make worship a space where people can do the things that they need to do. Stop trying to clamp it down so much. It's going to be okay. And he's not just talking there about the things that we do culturally. He's talking there about things that we do around ability and disability. When we had Paul Bursma's funeral here, a number of his friends came from Friendship Ministries, which is a disability ministry of the denomination. And a number of them came from Johnny and Friends, which is another ministry to people who are disabled. And so right here, in the aisles, we had a number of people in wheelchairs and scattered through. We have a number of people who are developmentally delayed in one way or another. And so during the course of the worship, if someone said something funny about Paul, told a little funny story, there'd be this general laughter. And then like a beat later, there'd be a really loud laugh over here. <laughs> and then when someone said something really poignant and we would cry and people would cry and then somebody over here was crying really loud. And there wasn't anybody in that space who said, you know, this is really disrupting my worship. 
Because Paul, as part of his gift to us, has said, this is, you make space for this. This is good. This is the kingdom of God. This is what it looks like when we all get together and worship. You make space for people. Pastor Aaron was in the multicultural student lounge talking with some students, and they said to him, you know, we often, um, we'll, we'll kind of watch chapel in here. And he said, you know, you Y'all could come over here. You're like, well, and, and they said, ah, you know, we like to kind of talk back to the preacher. We kind of like to do this kind of thing. So it's, we feel a little safer kind of doing it in here with a screen. I thought, oh, man, do that when I'm preaching. <laughs> like, that's, that's the kind of safety we need to make for people. So if somebody puts up their hands and that's like, okay, I'm, it's not my area, but, I, you know, that we're just like, that's great. This person, somebody puts it on. And if somebody's just standing stock still the entire time, we're like, great, great. We are not going to measure your love for the Lord by your calisthenics while you worship. <laughs> we refuse to get distracted if somebody yells amen during a service. We refuse to see that as a negative thing. We're, we're going to be open to quiet, and we're going to be open to loud. And we're going to open our hands up, and we're going to open our hands down. And we're going to open to other languages and other spaces and other expressions of worship because Christianity is not about you. And Christianity is not about me. Christianity is about every tongue and tribe and nation coming and kneeling before Jesus. Some of you know when I open Fridays at Calvin, I talk about worship at Calvin. And I say worship at Calvin is designed to comfort you and stretch you. There should be things here where you think, oh, I love this song, my favorite song, we did this in high school. We're singing a song in my language, I'm so happy, this is so great. Well, this is a loud chapel, I love this, it's great. And then there should be things that stretch you. We're all going to pray out loud at the same time? Okay. Uh, that's weird. We're going to read scripture and then you want me to like say a, a, a word back that I like connected with? Okay. All right. That's kind of weird. We're going to sing, uh, we're going to sing what song? We're going to sing a song I've never heard before. We're going to sing a song in another language. I've... <sighs> See, worship should both comfort you and stretch you because as I say to all the parents and students gathered at Fridays at Calvin, we want you to not only be able to get a job anywhere in the world, we want you to go out and be able to worship anywhere in the world. We want you to have that skill set. We want to have that humility. We want to have the sense that when the star stops, wherever it stops for you, you are overwhelmed with joy because you say, this is where God is going to show up. Christianity is not about you. And it's not about me. Christianity is about us. Thanks be to God. Amen.